Welcome to the Washdown Podcast, episode number 81. And tonight's guest is Dr. Harrison Vauder, and he is the owner and operator of Industrial Athletics. Um, they are a fitness testing, movement screening, psychological testing company that targets uh, public safety professionals, firefighters, cops, nurses. Um, we had a great conversation, learned a lot of interesting stuff, and I hope you guys enjoyed it too. So here you go, episode 80 of the Washdown Podcast with guest Dr. Harrison Vauder. Anyway, it's it's really that simple. It's This isn't super complicated. Sweet. It's yeah. it's interesting seeing, I mean, because a lot of podcasts are put on YouTube and you watch them and all that stuff. And because I've never done one like this, I've done podcasts or like um, scenarios like that where it's over the phone or like Zoom or whatever. Yeah. But when you're actually like in a podcast studio, it it's weird seeing the rest of the stuff. Oh, yeah. The not, behind the, yeah, yeah. That's the weird part. <laughs> and I mean... Yeah, that's why we don't ever pan the camera that well, way. <laughs> well, I mean, there's just a lot more production than you'd think. It's not, it's really not just microphones and headphones. Yeah. There's just a lot more to it. It's like we were talking about just a second ago. Yeah. Everything's just way more complex than it looks. Yeah. You know? Yeah, once you start uh, peeling the onion back. Oh, my gosh. You know, and that's, man, that's so many issues. <laughs> yes. Yes. You talking about EMS, fire, police, you start talking about mental health and physical and all that stuff. Like you said we were talking oh, about man. earlier that it it gets more complicated and more convoluted than people really kind of understand. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's small so I essentially left being a paramedic to do a small business pipe dream idea and not only now that I've graduated school and all that stuff, I've had to, the the wormhole of small business entrepreneurship is the craziest wormhole because it's infinite. And there's so much information out there that it's almost like not having any information at all because I don't know what's right and wrong. I have a gazillion options and, um, you know, the thing that I have found is I just guess, but I just like guess in like little small guesses. Yep. And then if I feel like I'm getting really off center, if I feel like I've made some bad decisions, usually those small guesses I can kind of undo pretty easily, yeah. hopefully. Yeah. But yeah, man, the, the complexity of small business and navigating the first five, 10 years of small business has been like whoa, way bigger roller coaster than I thought. And I remember being like 25 and thinking, about going back to school and, you know, risking it all for this idea. And I just remember being like, okay, if I'll, so I'll graduate and then I'll be 30, I'll be in my thirties. I'll figure it out then. No, <laughs> I, it's, I was like, right. And I was also so wrong. I was so wrong. I figured one or two things out in that yeah. enough time to get a bachelor's and a doctorate, but like nothing, I didn't figure yeah. anything out in yeah. that time. I, I know the feeling. I'm 42. So, awesome. yeah. And I've been on the fire department for 18 years. And it's like, I'll figure it out whenever I hit that 10 year mark. Man. Uh, well, maybe in 20. <laughs> it's, there's a lot to know. Yeah. Yeah. So you've so. been with Kansas City, Missouri for 18 years. Uh, yes. That's awesome. Yep. That's awesome. I worked for MedAct for five years. So I was like one of the, 
high school kids that was real fired up. And then I went to work for Johnson County Med Act as a paramedic. And um, my way to cope with the stress of that job was just to exercise a bunch. And it was helpful. Um, It was helpful, but short-sighted. And so I got really physically burned out and then I got hurt and then mentally I got worn out just from I couldn't do any of the stuff I wanted to do and it hurt going to work and anyways. Yeah. So I mean that I got burned out really, really fast. Fortunately for me, I got a teaching job. So I am one of the instructors for the EMS program at Johnson County Community College and um I've taught there for twelve years now. Well, on that note, let's how about we introduce you? Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So my name's Harrison. Um, I guess technically I'm Dr. Vonner, but I don't, it's weird. It's still weird to say that cause I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of a new graduate still. So technically I'm Dr. Vonner, but my name's Harrison and, uh, yeah, I was paramedic for Johnson County for five years. And then I've been a adjunct professor at Johnson County Community College. And then I'm adjunct professor at Cleveland university as well, which is the Cairo school. But I teach, uh, basically how to handle emergency in your private practice. So I teach people how to recognize strokes and how to recognize heart attacks and other like uh, weird stuff that private practice manual therapists don't aren't, aren't used to seeing. Because usually yeah. if someone comes into like a, a traditional chiro office or um, like physical therapy office, they're like, oh, I have back pain. And so it's my job to be like, hey, you know, back pain is like a really normal symptom for an abdominal aneurysm. We should learn how to manage those things as well. So it's weird. I've, I've found a really cool uh, niche for myself in the teaching world. Yeah. But that's not <laughs> what I am pipe dreaming about, right? Right. So my story kind of started when the Royals lost the World Series. Okay. And so I'll bite. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and so that's like an important part because I was running a nursing home call like you do. And uh, this old lady, so we're taking care of this old lady or whatever. And she was watching the World Series and we watched them lose, essentially. Like we stopped. We, okay. We didn't stop rendering care, but we <laughs> definitely didn't make any forward progress rendering care because yeah. we were all watching the Royals lose, right? Yeah. It's like me and the whole fire guys that I was with. And I made a comment. I was like, man, that would be such a stressful job. And then she gave me, she harassed me about that for the rest of the, the patient care portion. She was like, your job is so stressful. What are you talking about? I was like, it has never occurred to me that my job is stressful because I just didn't think about it. I mean, you know, you get so desensitized and so conditioned to the stressors yeah. that it's it's not stressful in a acute sense. Right. You don't it's, have a big dump of stress. Yeah. It's these little tiny drips. Yep. Anyways, so then I'm like thinking about that comment for the next couple of days and. I think about that sports team, the Royals, and how there's probably someone who knows the range of motion for the shoulders for every single pitcher on the Royals, and they have it on a spreadsheet. And then there's probably another person that does that for all the workouts for that they do. And there's probably a dude that knows the 40-yard sprints for all the hitters. You know what I mean? There's probably someone that has all that data stuff figured out. Oh, yeah. And so 
you know, if we're going to oversimplify what our jobs are as an EMS or as a firefighter, we're just pushing, carrying, pulling stuff around until it hits the fan. <laughs> and then we're doing a lot of other stuff. Yeah. But all that other stuff is somewhat predictable. And when, when we look at it, you're spiking your heart rate, you're controlling your breathing, you're crawling, you're reaching over your head, you're doing a lot of like really basic movements. You're not doing something like pitching a 95 mile an hour fastball. Right. You look at those guys' shoulders, there's some serious adaptation that those shoulders have had to go through in order to sling a ball like that, you know? Yeah. So that's all really easy to screen and manage and quantify. I mean, all those basic movement patterns are, that's really easy to generate and assign numbers to. And there's companies that do that for sports teams already. And so that that sport idea where I was like, man, we should be treating like, we should be treating these stations like they're freaking sports teams. And then I was like, well, we should do the whole department. And then it just kind of like spiraled out of control. And so that, <laughs> I, it, it was like a blue October. So October happened and I had this idea. And I mean, I was like, I just have these like core memories in my mind of, you know, driving back from the hospital at like three in the morning. And I'm like, dude, I could do this. This could be, I could really help some people. I could be a really valuable asset to every department. Cause if, if I prevent one back injury, if I prevent one guy from going out early from his career on a back injury, I mean, that's like a wild success for me as a person. I mean, yeah. And it, it, interestingly enough at the department I was at, there was a dude that hurt his back and this was like maybe a little bit before the, that Royals thing, but he hurt his back, got addicted to pain pills. He was a super active guy. His life just spiraled out of control. So, I mean, that worst-case scenario, he eventually got yeah. fired and he got in tons of trouble and a bunch of other bad stuff. But, you know, that that worst-case scenario was, like, so fresh in my brain that I was like, dude, I'm not letting that happen to another one of my friends, you know? Yeah. that That is I, – I can't let that happen. So, anyways – quit being a paramedic in December <laughs> and I started the <laughs> doctorate program or I started my uh, undergraduate and then doctorate program. I mean, January 3rd, I was like psyched risk at all. And to preface, I was in a super sweet spot in my life. I was like 25 or six. I'd paid off all my credit cards that I'd maxed out when I was 22 or three. <laughs> I, you know, I was like starting to calm down a little bit, a little bit in my life. And, uh, I didn't even have an apartment. I'd moved in with my sister and brother-in-law, uh, bless their heart. And, you know, I, I, my life is, and I'll say this probably 10 times on this conversation, but my life's just so perfect. It was just so perfect for me to be like, you know what? I'm doing it. Yeah. Switch gears. Yeah. Risk yeah. it all. Risk it all. I'm a big fan of risk. It just has to be calculated. Right. Got to have a reason to risk. And you got to know exactly what you're risking. Yeah. Because then you can make good decisions. But if you can't do that, you'll be well, in trouble. And that's a lot of our job, though, especially on the fire side, is risk versus reward. Why do we run into burning buildings? Well, if there's somebody in there, are we going to be able to get them out? Let's see how bad the fire is. So 
those are things, those are decision-making, that's a decision-making process that we go through every time we show up to a house fire. Absolutely. You know, I like this conversation is kind of uh, something that I riff on with students. And what I tell students all the time is I don't care if you stay in police, fire, EMS for a career or for three years or five years. The life skills you get working in public safety, you will not get anywhere else. You can't because it's understanding and mitigating risk in a crunch scenario, you can't tell me any other job gives a 21-year-old kid a cardiac arrest and says, good luck. Here's your five drugs you're going to give. I hope you get your doses right. I hope you get your times right. <laughs> you know, like no other job yeah. does that. Yeah. It's sweet. Yeah. So even if, you know, someone's like, hey, EMS in for me, it's, I don't care. It is a wonderful life skill because risk, understanding risk, all that stuff. Yeah. Same thing with fires. Problem like, solving. It's so valuable. Yeah. And I see a lot of students, like we've got one um, recently that has come through our paramedic program that you just kind of get a feel. You're like, you're like too cerebral. Like to be good in fire and EMS, you have to be smart. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I'll interact with students and I'm like, you're like smart, smart. You're not like, you're not like a normal guy smart. You're like smart, smart. And so it's cool to see them like spiral off and do their other thing. Cause I don't think he'll stay in EMS because I don't think he should. I think he should go do something else, but he'll take the skills that he learns in EMS and go do something else. Cool. Well, they're applicable, their life skills. And unfortunately, you know, you can see it with the younger generation that it seems like they're kind of missing some of that on the way up. At least that's been my perception. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> so the it, it's very strange because it's it's a dichotomy where we get students that have negative, uh, less than zero people skills. Yes. They in less than zero I concept of how to like storm and conform or like uh, conflict resolution. Yeah. Or just interact with people face to face. And exactly. I, I think social media has a lot, to a big part to play in that. Absolutely. There's some UFC fighter that said something like, you know, social media has got, gotten people used to saying stuff and not getting punched in the face for it. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I yeah. see that a lot with students where they'll like email stuff. And I'm like, I don't think this isn't Twitter. I'm going to see you on Monday. Not yeah. that they're saying anything like rude or mean, but like they just don't know how to form a non confrontational comment yeah. to an authority figure. It has to be like either voice to text or like kind of really poorly put together, yeah. you know? But the flip side of that is like they do have tons of positive traits. It's just like with technology and optimizing workflow and like they do have tons of positive traits that they bring to the table. But I do say, I feel kind of old when I'm like, this freaking generation, what the hell? <laughs> what is wrong with you kids? Yeah. I, I, w- I will say this about the younger generation, at least in the fire service that I've seen. They are more open to the mental health aspect of things. Like if they're not, you know, if they're struggling or having a hard time with something, they're more vocal about it than people from my generation. Hey, I'll tell you, 
that's a big part of what I do. And my company has gone through a handful of renditions uh, to serve the people that I get to serve. And one of the big things that um, this generation does a great job of is being like, I'm maxed out. I can't do this. Mm -hmm. I am too tired. I'm too beat up. I'm too whatever. Um, They do a great job of that. Or the the other thing that they do a good job of is being like, well, okay, so in our paramedic program, we send students out into the clinical setting or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, and your first cardiac arrest, your first uh, shooting, your first whatever, like stressful call. What I call those is um, your first big spike in psychological demand. So the first time you do something where it's like, your brain really has to put out some horsepower to deal with that situation. Um, those first times are can be challenging to navigate. If you're a 21-year-old high school kid, I'm using myself as an example, 21-year-old 20, kid fresh out of high school who, you know, I grew up in like the safest neighborhood ever. I, yeah. I never had any real harsh realities growing up. I mean, I've had, like, the most blessed young adulthood ever. Two loving parents. Like, I have all of the good things, you know? Yeah. You know, the first time I run a parent who killed their kid, you're like, that's a big spike in what I'm asking my brain to do. And so what I get to do now as a job is check in on those people and be like, hey, I saw that you put this in your uh, stress comments box how can I serve you? What what can I do as a portal of entry physician where I can serve you? And those young people are like, help me, please. <laughs> They're like really psyched about <laughs> receiving help. And yeah. fortunately for me, I've I have all of the the networking in place, and I have all I've built the relationships to be like, hey, you're gonna go here, you're gonna go here. So my practice and how I do industrial athletics is more about the management and allocation of resources rather than seeing people. Because rather than like treating people like a normal manual therapist or like a physical therapist or a chiropractor or whatever. Right. Because my degree is technically in, I have a a doctorate in chiropractic. I have that over a, a physical therapy degree because... DCs are recognized as portal of entry physicians in all 50 states, as where your DPT is not necessarily. So, like, um, if I go to Missouri, I have to have a physician referral to go see a DPT, even though they're doctors too. That makes a whole lot of sense. So it's weird, and I don't know why it's like that, and it's changing. More states are, like, coming around. I think there's only a couple now that aren't direct access like that. But yeah, because I am a portal of entry physician and I'm recognized in all states, I can manage people wherever. And I can say like, hey, you need to go to this counseling group. Or if you've you've ever done counseling before, you'd know that it is not as simple as like, I'm a Google counselor, <laughs> right? No, it is not. <laughs> it You know, it's like we said before, but Getting into a counseling group is a way more complex process than people think. 
it's about allocation of resources, building relationships, and that management thing. Mm-hmm. When I do like my spiel or my elevator pitch or whatever to departments, I tell people it's like instant command and your whole department is hurt. And that people that wear boots and do shift work, they're like, yeah, man, everyone on my shift is hurt. Whether it's like physically hurt or psychologically hurt mm-hmm. or they're working too much overtime or like they're all hurting some way and how we manage the resources in our community to serve that population is really 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 important because those folks need it they just to be honest my my experience is they don't realize that they're hurting they don't have the time to root through all the counselors on google to find one or they don't trust anybody yeah and so that that is a big thing there's also the stigma you know that is huge and that article that i sent you earlier um university of british columbia did a study and you know it's in canada but it's the same thing 92 percent of the firefighters that they surveyed said they would not reach out for mental health help because of the stigma that's that's obscene yeah i know know. it's really and we're supposed to be you know, we're supposed to be the people who help people and we are supposed to be this big family and care about our brothers and sisters and all that stuff. But having this stigma and this thing actively preventing people from getting help and getting the help they need. And a lot of the personalities that come into, you know, these jobs, fire, police, EMS, we're helpers. We're, I don't want to say type A personalities, but there's a lot of that. You know, and it's the, I'm going to go help that person. I don't have time to worry about my own pain. Yeah. And it just, and it snowballs and snowballs. I would totally agree. You know, okay, so the reach out thing is such a funny, such a funny thing because the stigma is one of the hardest things to overcome. Yeah, it's got to be a cultural shift. Absolutely. And so what's the game plan until then? Because, you know, my I have to do something, right? And what I can't do is I can't watch my friends kill themselves over the course of our career, you know? Because, like, if you go up to, like, your academy board, you can be like, that guy, that guy, that guy, that guy. You know, you can Mm -hmm. pick some guys out. And it's weird now that I've been out for, I don't know, whatever, 13 years. But it's weird now. There's like a handful of guys, you know. And so my my question was, or it has always been, is like, well, what am I going to do until the stigma changes? What am I going to do until those tides change? And um, I just decided to reach out to people. And so that's what my company does is we cycle through so there's the whole biomechanics side where it's all biomechanical screening there's a whole psychological side too so the psychological side that i incorporate into my practice is or i should say yeah i guess it's my practice but i am my company is we do cyclical outcome assessments so we use questionnaires like anxiety depression burnout chronic pain, alcohol abuse, um, uh, PTSD. We cycle these outcome assessments. So we're reaching out to you in a variety of ways on a cycle. And so 
it's not now I've relieved that burden of that old guy who's like, I'm not going to reach out. That's stupid. Mm -hmm. That's not a problem anymore because I'm reaching out to you every Monday morning and I'm saying, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? So all he has to do is check his email once a week and he fills out something that is a medical researched standardized medical assessment that if they fail, boom, counseling. It's a ticket to entry, okay? Because it's really easy. Those, I, I keep saying like these old guys, but like I use that as an example because they're like a huge pain, right? Because <laughs> they don't want to do the stuff. Yeah. But if you say, hey, man, you failed all of these screenings. These are like legit outcome-based concepts. These are serious medical questionnaires. I'm a serious physician. I'm being very serious right now this is not a good thing. I need to refer you as so that I can keep my license. I need to make this referral. And usually they're like, ah, damn it. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. I'll help you out. I'll go to, <laughs> exactly. I'll go to counseling. Yeah. There you go. A little bit of reverse yeah, psychology awesome. there. I like that's it. Exactly like right. It. Oh, I'll, okay. Okay. I'll help you out. Yeah. That's exactly right. <laughs> so yeah, that the reach out thing is, is funny. Cause I've really wrestled with that notion where it's like, Part of my pitch for um, when I go to departments is I'm like, it's like truck checks just for your people. We check your brain. We check your body. We check to make sure you're not running too much, right? Those are like the three big things we check. I mean, there's complexity to that, but, you know, your truck don't check itself. Your truck isn't like, oh, I'm good, you know? Yeah. You, have to, you have to have a team of guys with a systemized approach to do that, and then not only does the approach have to be systemized – how to fix the stuff has to be systemized. Now you got to take that truck out of service, send it to the mechanic. It's got to get fixed, come back. But you can't. Your whole station can't be out of service. So you got to back up. I mean, it's just complex, right? There's complex yeah. systems, and so it's the same thing. I am checking on that person, and then I'm saying, "Hey, man, you're out of service for a little bit," or like, "Hey, here's what you're gonna do. Here's a plan," and. Because I, like I said, I really wrestled wrestled with that uh, notion of reaching out, and yeah. e even in my so in my screenings, my weekly screenings, I have like a box where it says um, something to the effect of, "Have you had any uh, spikes in physical or psychological demand?" And by this time, I've educated my patients so they know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and you know, if, good example, someone's like, "Hey." going through divorce. So I just email them. I have a gazillion email templates that I've already pre-made. Find the one I'm looking for, send it to them. I'm reaching out to you. And if you're like, hey, yeah, this is getting pretty nasty. I need some help. 10 minutes later, I'm sending them the resources for whatever counseling they need or whatever services I, I have to help them with that process. So... Yeah, it's it's the again, it's the identification and allocation of resources cuz identifying people in need is just hard. If it were easy, we wouldn't have like homeless people and stuff, you know? It's yeah. it's a complex thing. So anyways, you got me fired up that whole reach out <laughs> thing cuz that's like been the I mean, that's like the crux of a big part of what I've 
tried to do because, you know, if I was like, hey, come into my office and, uh, you know, get a depression questionnaire. There, no one would be in my office ever because no one's ever going to do that. No one's ever going to drive all the way to Midtown to do that. Yeah, it's just not going to happen. So I got to come to you. Yeah. And now, like I said, I'm on, I'm on my third or fourth rendition of how I do this company, and um, I mean it gets better with every rendition. But those first couple renditions, I was like, oh, that ain't going to work. Let's do uh, something different. <laughs> that ain't going to work. Let's do something different. Well, you know, being able to problem solve being able to pivot that's a that's a big skill oh man so uh i graduated april of 2020 oh i can't think of anything that was going on in the world in april of 2020 well fortunately i know i know and fortunately for me public safety folks weren't busy at all no (laughs) we had nothing going on yeah it's crickets (laughs) sleeping all night so I, that was, I wrote like my entire thesis on how to do this. I was like, I knew that I was going to present my thesis to a chief of department and that older guy was going to be like, that's the future. We're doing it. Here, take our money. (laughs) I thought it was going to be like that serious because I was like, dude, I got a good idea. And I, and they'll understand that I risked it all to do this. They don't care. And, you know. I have some friends that are chiefs of some big departments, and they were like, bro, what are you doing? It's COVID. We we can't help you. I'm like, I, don't say no more. I'll pivot. It's my – I will figure this out. And then actually one of those chiefs, if he listens to this, he'll know exactly uh, who he is, and he'll probably remember that email. But he was like, if you're any paramedic at all, you'll figure it out. And I was like, ah, ah. <laughs> That kind of hurt, but you're also kind of right. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the thing. So whenever you're talking about, you know, whole department scales, and I'm sure you've found this out, you know, there's, when you talk about public service, there's a finite amount of money because it's, we're not really money making entities. We're money spending entities. And there's only so much that the city is going to give us. And we have to allocate for fuel resources, you know, apparatus i mean there's you just go down the list of hundreds of thousands of dollars just going out the window and it seems like in a lot of departments and i'm not going to say all of them and i'm not going to name any names but a lot of departments like the physical health of the members the mental health of the members are very and i don't even want to say that they're not a priority but it's like, where are we going to get the money to do these programs? And what programs do we want to use? Well, that one's okay. Well, this is a great idea. How are we going to implement it? Who's going to teach it? Who, you know, it's just, it's that resource allocation thing of what's your priority? Totally. So, and I'll, I'll add to that. If you want to talk about a crazy mess of stuff that I've had to learn about the small business thing is like, so I wrote this big long paper on how to do this for a department to save them a ton of money. Cause ultimately my goal when I, if I were to get like a whole department is um, to decrease their non-contact workplace injuries because one contact workplace injury costs about 65 grand according to the NFPA. And if I decrease one of those, I save you money. Right. Right. And I'm a way cheaper service than that. So 
multiply that by however many guys. Generally, what I say is, yeah, I, I'm not even. Well, yeah, okay. So I'm not going to go into how much money I can save because there's just a lot of variables because it would depend on how many workplace injuries you have. But right. my point is, is if departments don't spend the money that they're allocated, they don't get it next year. And so if that money comes from the work workers being injured and like, hey, we need this much money for our work comp guys and our workplace injuries, if I save them a bunch of money, then they're not going to get that next year necessarily. And so that's not always a super desirable thing. Yeah. So talk yeah. about adding to complexity. I was like, yeah. so anyways, I was in this meeting with the chief one time and we were talking about my plan. He was like, Harrison, so let's say I spend... I, these are like the rough numbers, but let's say I spend $10 million a year, and you're saying you can half that over two years. Am I supposed to tell my guys that we're taking away half of their work, injury work benefits? How how am I going to explain this in the next year when you've saved us a ton of money, and now I can't ask for that money from the city? And I was like, shit. See, my my reply to that... <clears throat> would have been i'm sure there's other things that you could spend that money on or ask for that money for totally um yeah i i'm always of the mindset i want my people to be as healthy and effective as possible of course and i mean the besides the fact of you know saving money and saving lost time injuries and having people off of work because of things like that um you know sick days because you know, they're overweight or whatever, you know, because it leads to so many health problems. You, we're not very proactive. That's the that's the short version that of big the spiel that right I there. was about to go off on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. You know, the okay, so the the blessing. So in that conversation I was like, dang it. I disagree and you're also right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it gave me some perspective that like, okay, let's say I just got this whole department sold. They were like, wow, you are you did it. Good job. Here's the money and I'm psyched that you're here doing your pipe dream business, right? Um, even if that happened, the cities could be like, nah, that's stupid. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so so it, it made me pivot and be like well what's the what's the smartest avenue of going about this because i'm hearing from all of my friends co-workers i'm hearing from a lot of these people that like we need help we need help we need this we need that like someone someone help us figure out this why are really healthy guys getting hurt at work or why are people who seem really really happy killing themselves you know like why why are these why is this happening at such a crazy rate in police fire ems nurses right and i was like all right whatever i don't need a department i don't care i'm just gonna make a direct access model so what i do now it's a subscription service so you pay me every month for a year and i we do screenings 
and you get X amount of psychological screenings, X amount of weekly workload screenings, X amount of biomechanical screenings, and I help you manage your healthcare. And if you fail some of those screenings, I send you to my guy who I work with who fixes this specific thing. And then you come back to me and you pass it. And I'm like, hey, freaking great job. Let's do something else. And then I send you to a personal trainer that we all measure the same metrics. And now you're strong and you're doing great. And you fail a psychological screen. I'm like, hey, we haven't talked about counseling yet, but here's the deal. You need to go to counseling. You failed the screening. And that, that's what my model is now. And initially, I was like really nervous about it because, yeah, I, if you're, if you've ever done, if someone's listening to this and they've done small business, one of the hardest parts that I have found is like, how do you communicate your idea in a way that's like simple, stupid, right? Because mm-hmm. you're fired up about podcasts. I'm fired up about what I'm doing. And if you've ever had like two or three beers and you're at, and someone asks you about it and you're like, dude, I just got these microphones and you're like, blah, 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 like getting fired up about it. And they're like, oh my God. Yeah. That, Slow down, Buster. Yeah, it's exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly right. That was my big fear in doing the direct access because, you know, I'm fired up. I want to tell everybody all the time, but how do you like do it in small, manageable chunks in a way that gets people to give you their money. That's like way, that was a way more intimidating process than, you know, calling my, a guy that I've known for 15 years who's a chief of department being like, hey, I really want to do this. I could save your department a ton of money. That to me was like an easy way in. Yeah. I just realized that that wasn't as viable on April 12th. Of 20. You know what I mean? Yeah. So anyways, I pivoted in this direct access model. It's been so great. It's I'm in control of the things that I need to be controlling of control. I'm in control of the things that I need to be in control of. And I can scale really easy. So there will be a day where I'm like, hey, I need to scale. And I need to move up, scale up, all that stuff. And... um I can, I'll be able to do that relatively easily. And that was my, one of my other concerns when I started this process. So yeah, yeah, that's my service now. Well, I mean, as you probably know, you know, if, especially firefighters, if they have a good experience with something, they tell everybody, right. They tell all their friends. So, I mean, it's word of mouth advertising basically. Totally. And I, I, I have a guy. Okay, so I my office is at uh, a gym called Body Fit. Body Fit's on 39th and Main Street. There's like a maybe like a more powerlifting and a strongman gym in the basement, and that's where my current office is. There's like a um, more traditional uh, rug rack, rubber floors, bumper plates gym on the main floor, and then on the upstairs it's MMA and fitness testing Mm -hmm. and so i'm super super central i see firefighters all the time i 
I know that there's going to be a time where uh, that word of mouth catches on super fast. Mm -hmm. And I've been so lucky and my life's been so perfect in this regard that I've kind of landed where I've landed because I'm in a spot where I can scale relatively easily. Um, But it's just time and pressure. You know, those everybody says if you've ever done or ever been interested in starting a small business or doing something like I'm doing, um, you'll have a hundred people be like, you know, most small businesses don't last the first five years. I'm like, fine, I'll (laughs) last longer than that. That's not a problem. Challenge accepted. Yeah. Yeah. It's not hard to not quit. You just have to be like, no, I'm not going to quit. It's like in, I hate to say this, but it's like if you've ever done jujitsu, it's being like, I'm not tapping. You break my jaw off, <laughs> choke me out. I'm not doing it. And now, once see, in a blue moon, yeah. you'll get choked out. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm gonna tap every time to a joint lock. Because okay, okay, I okay, value my fair. joints. That's fair. But if you're gonna choke me unconscious, then you're just gonna choke me unconscious. Yeah. So. You just make a decision before you get choked unconscious that I'm doing this. Yeah. Are you a jujitsu person? Uh, I used to be. Oh, yeah. Nice. I I was talking to my wife the other day. I was like, I'm feeling mm. the itch again. I need to Deep. need to get back into the gym. Yes. And then we went to uh, her uncle's pool on Saturday, and we were messing around in the pool, and I pulled something in my back, and I'm like, man, every time. <laughs> you know, uh, I was trained today, and the black belt's name's uh, David Littlewood. Wonderful person. He he made a comment. He was like, because we're doing arm locks or whatever, and he's like, hey, if you don't want your arms and legs and neck, if you don't want that stuff to hurt, then, you know, just quit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just don't do jujitsu because oh, that's yeah. the whole point of the sport, man. Yeah. And I was like, hey, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. You're right. She was like, why don't you just go back for like, you know, one day a week or whatever? And I said, because it hurts way worse just going once a week than four times a week. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because, so, I, yeah, I used to, because I did MMA for oh, awesome. about four or five years. Nice. And I would train five, six days a week. And I knew that if I took a little time off after a fight, it was going to hurt really bad whenever I went back. It is, yeah. Yeah. I, I uh, My life is so perfect in that. I uh, started doing jiu-jitsu, and the guy that owns the gym, David, he was like, hey, I could probably find office space for you over here. And I was like, listen, man, I'm not saying this place is perfect for what I want to do, but let's do it. Yeah, Let's do it. And so I like will come work in the morning and then go train over lunch, shower. Go back, work for the rest of the afternoon. Go pick the kids up. Dude, my life's so perfect. I'm telling you. It's crazy. It's nice. It's so nice. But yeah, jiu-jitsu's a roller coaster, man. The yeah. I mountain biked for years. Years. And uh, I did some ultra marathons and some Ironmans. And I did some serious sports stuff. Uh, and I had a couple really bad accidents with mountain biking. And, uh, I just, look, I'll tear my ACL. I can live with that. But if I ever break both my arms again at the same time, <laughs> my wife will murder me because I got kids now. It gets more complex when you start having kids. Uh, yeah. So it's, you know, I went from like a sport that's high consequence, but low probability to, uh, higher probability with a little bit lower consequence. Cause you know, if I tear an ACL, if I, blow a shoulder 
Is it bad? Of course. Do I want it to happen? Of course not. Yeah, but, but I can I can live with it. Yeah, and it's also preventable though. Totally. I mean, as long as you have good training partners who know what they're doing and <laughs> yeah, not dude. some yeah, jerk that just came into the gym. Yeah. Then injuries are pretty rare. I mean, they happen. Sure. Obviously they happen. Sure. But yeah, the the biggest issue that we ever had whenever I was training was some new kid coming yeah. in the gym or somebody out to try to prove a point. Mm-hmm. And usually those guys didn't last very long. Yeah. I, it's funny. Like, so I don't take, oh, that's not totally true. I don't take a ton of patience, like traditional, Hey, my neck and back hurt. I don't take a ton of those, but it's really cool. Cause when I do take them, it's like the guys that I know from the gym that need help, and usually they're pretty motivated and usually I know like exactly what's going on or like I know exactly who hurt them because I was there training. You know what I <laughs> or mean? you did it. <laughs> right, 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 right. So like usually it, it's a it's a pretty perfect patient for me to have. And so I I don't advertise that I take a ton of patients, but I'll take guys that come in from the gym with no, I mean, no problem. But yeah. it is, uh, yeah, I mean, those sports are like, they're just maximum fun, but also just accident prone, man. It's uh, just the whole the whole yeah. point of the sport is to beat somebody up, and sometimes you get beat up. Yeah. So you're not wrong. Well, and that's the thing with, I mean, a lot of firefighters and cops and EMS people, you know, they play team sports in high school or college, you know, so they're coming into this career field a lot of times with the pre existing kind of you know, some injuries that, oh, I tore my ACL in high school or I blew out my shoulder in college or, you know, something like that, that, you you know, you wear an air pack for a couple times straight and your shoulders are going to hurt. Your back's going to hurt. It's going to mess with your knees. You know, you're crawling around on the floor. All that stuff, it, it exacerbates those old injuries. I, you know, I couldn't agree more. I have a ton of patients that have old injuries and it's so I don't know it's not funny but it's so interesting because I'll be like oh you know tore your ACL so we'll go and be like hey so one of the screenings we're going to do we're, is going to look at your ability to rotate how well can you rotate and then also resist rotation and they'll be like zero hip mobility I'm like dude of course you blew your knee out what do you think is going to happen if you can't move your hips or your ankles the only joint that is in between those is your knee. Yeah. It doesn't, you don't, I could have seen a non-contact slip knee injury a hundred miles away. Yeah. So now I'm not predicting injuries cause that's not possible really. But what I am saying is that There's probabilities, what I am saying is if you have zero range of motion of your hips and you have zero range of motion on the ankle, the likelihood of you blowing your knees out, Doing the same sport as somebody who has really good hip, knee, ankle, hip, knee, and ankle mobility and control is just going to be less. It's just going to be. And so it's interesting because that's that's the screening process. That's the checklist if we're talking about doing check trucks on or truck checks on people. But like that's the checklist that I'm going through. Is like, well, I'll use a shoulder for an example. But like, okay, so you got shoulder pain. Does you, do you have normal range of motion of the neck? 
Do you have normal range of motion of the mid-back or the thorax is what we call it, but the thorax, do you have normal range of motion of the shoulder blade? Do you have normal range of motion of the arm that goes into your shoulder blade? If you check all that stuff off and you still have shoulder pain, then that's weird. But I know that you don't need to go to a manual therapist because you've got all the stuff. So maybe you should go see your primary care physician because there are some cancers that attack that like humerus where it goes in the shoulder. And we need to make sure that's not what's happening before we investigate an atypical uh, biomechanic scenario. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's that kind of checklist process uh, when we're going through a firefighter. Because, man, look, air packs aren't going anywhere. No. If if you don't have good shoulders and a good mid-back, you're going to have a bad time. Yeah. Same thing with helmets. Helmets aren't going anywhere. If you don't have normal neck motion, you're going to have a bad time. And those things are so easy to screen for. It's so easy to lock someone's lumbar spine out, lock their shoulders out, and twist them and be like, hey, man, you have no mid-back rotation or extension that's a bad scenario if you're going to wear an air pack and a helmet we'll be like oh well that's what i do for my job I'm like that's what i'm saying yeah <laughs> yeah that, that's what i'm saying let's go let's work on that and then once you come back then we can do all the cool stuff like load up a hex bar and see what your carrying ability is i'm sure you've seen guys on calls where they're carrying something and you're like that just looks like it hurts me yeah, every day. <laughs> yeah. Like, man, I'm, I hurt for you. That yeah. looks miserable. And this easy screening process is to say, you're at risk for an injury. Go here. You're at risk for injury. Go here. Whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm really fortunate. I had a really great mentor when I went through school who helped me, like, develop this process because he does this exact process, more or less, uh, a guy named Dr. Teeter who's in Kansas City, but he does this process for uh, college sports teams. And so I like did my internship with him and scheme teamed with him for weeks on end to, well, more than that, years on end now. Um, how can I refine this process uh, to basically do exactly what he's doing just with a different population? Yeah. I'm going to send this to him afterwards. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's been so instrumental to what I've done or what I'm trying to do. I mean, he's a wonderful asset and I send, he's a big part of the team that I send people to. So when, when I have a dude who fails the screening really, really bad and I'm like, Hey man, I got a guy. He's, he'll get you straightened up. He'll treat you ethically. Um, he'll get you back on your feet. He, that's where they go. Yeah. Well, you know, mm. I mean, these jobs, like we talked about, it's really very similar to being an athlete, you know, and yeah. you are in many ways. Oh, yeah. The lifting and pulling and it's, I would even say it's more so because, you know, go to a baseball game or a football game or a basketball game. Those guys have warm-ups. They get to stretch you know, they get to get on the bike or whatever. <laughs> get on the bike. Get, guess what happens whenever the call comes in? We're not going, okay, everybody, 10-minute warm-up. Right. No, it's get on the pumper or get on the ambulance or get on the truck and go. And when you get there, go. It's not we're all going to congregate in the front yard and do calisthenics for 10 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 
Absolutely. And so what I say to that stuff, because I've heard a lot, I've heard that sentiment many times is the human body is an amazing, adaptable, uh, resilient thing. And unless you're training somewhat like that, you're going to have a really hard time doing that as a job. Yeah. So, you know, I am of the camp that I, I am not like a long warmer upper. I am like a, yeah. I have one hour today. Let's get after mm-hmm. it. Like that's my take on exercise. Um, I do subscribe to things like um, uh, joint control exercises. And um, I mean, I, I subscribe to some of the exercise prescription stuff. But, I mean, as far as warm-ups go, there's no evidence out there that says warm-ups are, like, super great and decrease a bunch of injuries. Yeah. It well, just if they a, did... We wouldn't have a ton of injuries, yeah. right? So, yeah. but if you never train that way, you're never going to perform that way. So, if you're a firefighter and you're, like, taking an hour to warm up for a five-set-of-five bench press, which just makes me cringe a little bit but if that's what you're doing (laughs) you can't expect to have a harder time working uh than someone who's like no i'm gonna push carry pull for a short burst of intensity and that's what i'm gonna do for a workout today or you know i pick up firefighters all the time because i was in paramedic who lived in the fire station but cops are another great example of that Mm -hmm. i mean people ask me like well I'm a firefighter. How should I train? Well, you should train. You should do metabolic conditioning, and you should train like you're a um, uh, like a strength athlete. Like you should do farmer's carries, and you should do sled pushes, and you should do all like the classic strongman stuff. Carry like a big stone ball. That's like some crazy posture strength. We have a we have a strongman like a really good strongman competitor in our gym and he's a freak to watch it's unbelievable i was watching him lift today with the axle bar and i was like lord have mercy but anyways yeah train like you're doing strongman competition and add some metabolic conditioning in there that's sweet you will be very successful fighting fires for a long time as long as you're not doing egregious stuff or you're doing crazy workouts when you should be sleeping that's the caveat and a lot of guys can't uh a lot of guys resist that notion where it's like they were up all night and they're like oh i gotta work out I'm like well, no you don't go rest for a little bit your cortisol's all messed up right now go rest anyways that's like a whole nother topic but with cops you know we should be training like they're mma athletes man that's what you're doing one of my f- the funniest scenario that I run into a lot of times is like a jacked cop. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are you lifting all these weights, bro? You're going to be so slow. Yep. Look, I've run my legs off. I've run ultras. I've run all over. And I'm telling you, I'm going to outrun you. All those muscles aren't going to do anything because I'm going to outrun you. And train like an, if you were a cop and you're listening to this and you're trying to figure out what you want to do for your training, go train jujitsu and 
train like an MMA athlete. You're, you will be so much more successful on the job. Well, they should be training jujitsu anyway. Totally. That should be, I mean, to all my friends who are cops who are watching this, you should be training jujitsu <laughs> anyway. It should be mandatory. Yeah. I mean, it's just, there's too many good skills. Now, oh, yeah. now there are some legalities there of what they're allowed to do in yeah. uniform and whatnot. But still, if you know that stuff, then it's just going to make you more effective. You know, and, and you're going to be able to control people without. It's crazy. You know, yeah. Well, so there's a guy at my gym who's really good and he's a good friend of mine. And, um, He's like 155 pounds. He's real, pretty short guy, jacked, but like lean jacked, you know? Mm-hmm. Anyways, my wife Lisa was asking me about the difference between him and I. His name's Corey, but I was like, Lisa, our two-year-old son, when I wrestle him, that's the difference between him and me. That's how much more control he has over me as a person. And I'm a foot taller than him and I weigh him by 25 pounds. Yeah. And it's literally the same as a dad wrestling as toddler. And if that doesn't sell you on a cop doing jujitsu, doing jujitsu, I don't know what else to tell you. But yeah, yeah cops should be more MMA athletes because you're not doing as much pushing, carrying, pulling. It's more about like, Short bursts of intensity, agility, a lot of that stuff, yeah. and, and and so muscle endurance. Absolutely, yeah. how I integrate that into my screening processes is, um, I have basic push, carry, pull metrics, grip strength metrics that I do, but I also do this thing called my jump, which is like how what's your ex- ability to explode and what's your ability to absorb impact. You could do things like trip single leg triple jump you can do things like uh broad jump you can do all kinds of cool jump things that are all explosive strength and then at the in that same vein throw in a med ball if you do a seated med ball throw how much upper body explosive strength do you have you can you can screen out a lot of people that have deficits that way but that just depends if they get there I should say that depends when they get there. Because those like high-end screening processes that are real sports performance-based, they're already in personal training, and I already have a relationship with that trainer, and I'm like, hey, this person needs to work on their grip strength, so have fun doing deadlifts and pulls and carries and all that stuff. If they're struggling with that explosive power, this seems strange. The most underutilized tool in sports performance is really basic track drills and really basic throwing drills. Those are such amazing tools to help coordinate the lower extremities, the hips and the spine, and then the upper extremities, the neck and the spine. In sports, there's like a a saying that they'll say where it's, you need proximal, stability for distal power so what that means is like how much stiffness can i create in my torso mid back lumbar spine because i'm trying to explode my extremities and if my spine absorbs that i'm not going to go as far i'm going to lose some of that explosive strength uh, if i don't have a stiffened spine or a stiffened thorax and so 
once you get those like high, cool, fun, high-end screening processes, we've already ruled out that you can have a stiff spine. You can modulate that stiffness. You do have normal range of motion of the shoulders or the hips or the ankles or whatever. Because, you know, I would venture a guess if I went into any fire station and we looked at ankle dorsiflexion, the ability for the knees to track over the toes, we'd find tons and tons and tons of deficits. And so we got to clear that up before I start asking you to jump around on one leg. Otherwise, you're going to get hurt. And that's what happens a lot of times when healthy, young, stud firemen get on Instagram and they're like, oh, I saw this cool Instagram workout. And then they do it and they're like, oh, God, oh, you know. And then, and then unfortunately, that healthy, young stud of a firefighter is a statistic, a real preventable one, but he's just as injured as, you know, the slug who slipped on a medical call. Yeah. You know, we, as people that have worked in the field, intuitively know that there's a big difference between them. But stats and stats are stats, yeah. You know, and those—that's what we're trying to like suss out with some of this program. Is like you're a really, really easy case. You just need some ankle dorsiflexion before you jump around, so you don't hurt your back next time. Otherwise, you're a really healthy guy. You'll progress through the screening process really, really fast. Versus someone who like has a more complex healthcare picture, and that's one of the things that I've learned in doing this is. I'm starting with biomechanics screening. That's I'm a portal of entry physician, and that's just where I start. What I end up doing is learning about when people fail, like all of my baseline screenings, it's not because they don't want to be healthy, and it's not because they don't care. It's not any of that stuff. It's because they have some complex life circumstances that are preventing them from doing basic stuff without pain usually but you know helping them navigate and figuring out that is way more gratifying than helping you know a super jack dude who like pulled his hamstring jumping around i mean those guys are fun to help too but i know that their trajectory is going to be really steep but someone who has a complex biomechanical medical and psychological picture those are the people that i am really really here to help because i'm a healthy dude i care a ton about it and my parents are super super healthy people like my mom was like juicing carrots for me when i was like seven (laughs) you know like my parents are crunchy original crunchy nice so like i'm so blessed that i've grown up with that and I've done that stuff in my life <clears throat> that's like a really 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 small percentage of people and helping folks navigate so what happens when you struggle with like a, a bipolar and you love to lift but you can't lift when you have depressive episodes and so when you have depressive episodes, you eat a bunch of bad food. And so now you've got a bunch of health stuff. How do you how do you unwind all of that stuff and then re help that person rewind it themselves so that they're a high functioning, healthy, psyched person? That's the cool part about this whole screening process idea. And I would have never guessed in a million years that I was gonna be that 
intimately connected with my patients. And that is the beauty of the opportunity that I've had pivoting in 2020. So like, you know, when, when COVID happened and I was like, Oh my God, you know, I true story. My best buddy has a gutter cleaning company on the side. And when 2020 happened and I had that, uh, interview with that chief and he was like, Hey man, what are you doing? Like it's 2020. (laughs) We, we think you're cool and we love the stuff that you're doing, but I just have so many other things I have to do today. I was cleaning gutters for like a year and a half trying to piece this together. And it was when I was doing that, it was like purely sports data. I just want the data. That's all I care about. Cause I want to get enough data that I can make predictions and I can do what, you know, baseball teams do with data, but with fire service, that's so I could, you could legit save lives, lots of lives by doing that. Um, but I've been so blessed that I've pivoted because it's, I get to have like really cool relationships now with my patients. I get to talk to them. Unlike a normal primary care physician who's like 12 and a half minutes. That's all I got, baby. Yeah. You know, like (laughs) I get to interact with them and talk with them and, and, being a paramedic and doing that stuff first, it was, it's been so helpful because I'm used to complex scenarios. You know, you get a complex medical call, there's a lot of dynamics there and you've got to kind of manage that stuff. But it's very similar to what I'm doing now where it's like initially you would think this person's like, just doesn't want to get off the couch to do anything but you start peeling back that onion you're like dude there's some complexity to this this is actually way more you're a way more complicated patient than i thought and here are the categories that we need to fix let's prioritize them like this mental health it's gotta be first because you can't exercise if you're not here so let's do that boom once that's fixed all right Let's go see a manual therapist. I understand your back hurts. Here's what we're going to do about it. Here's how it works. This guy and I, we use the same language, the same metrics. You're going to get the exact same thing from him or me. The only good part is he takes insurance and he's way prettier. So you go over there <laughs> and he'll take great care of you. And in eight weeks when they come back, they're like, oh, dude, my freaking therapist is awesome. My back feels better. Everything is good. And then... We just keep screening and eventually something will pop up. So like what's a weird thing that's popped up that I've gotten to refer out? Um, An interesting one that I think rings a bell with a lot of people that they might not want to admit. I've gotten to build a relationship with a compulsive eating therapist in okay. firefighting and in police EMS, and I don't know what it is, and if you're an endocrinologist, please reach out to me so <laughs> it's to teach me, help me understand. When you work nights and you have a stressful job, there's something about how you screw up your cortisol or you screw up your testosterone or your estrogen um, that makes us 
prone to that kind of compulsive eating thing. And I don't know if it's because like, hey, we're at the hospital in the break room. I'm going to smash all these chips or whatever. I, I don't know what it is. But I've had a decent percentage of my entire population base ask about it. I'm like, hmm. never would have guessed. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, though, <clears throat> because... I mean, I can tell you, especially if you're working on the ambulance and you're gone from the station, you know, call after call, you've missed dinner time. So you get back and maybe you get to eat that. Maybe you don't. It's two, three o'clock in the morning. Like you said, you're at the <laughs> yeah. hospital. Yeah. You, they got all the EMS cookies. Dude, I, yes. Yeah. I, dude, I can definitely see that. And just, I mean, in general, the mm-hmm. way that most stations eat. I mean, you're talking about we're not making the most healthy food most of the time. That's true. I mean, it's a lot of fried stuff. It's I mean, we're smoking meat, you know, we're doing we're we're throwing down. But it's <laughs> yes. not it's not necessarily yeah. the like it all tastes good, but it's not the best fuel for the engine. Right. Right. So to speak. The in that kind of in that same vein, so now I'm like thinking about some of the weird referrals I've made. But in that same vein, I refer occasionally to uh, sex therapists. That one's a little more straightforward. If you mess up your cortisol, mess up your testosterone, like that makes more sense. But that's another one that guys will come and a- after we have some kind of relationship, they'll be like, "Hey, man, I don't know what the hell to do. You got a guy for that?" I'm like, "Of course I got a guy. I got a guy for everything. What are you talking about? <laughs> I didn't know you were Italian." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, I got a guy for everything, man. I, yeah, absolutely. And I send them out, and they get it figured out, and it always pans out. But it is it is strange. But, you know, I never would have thought in a million years I'd have really cool, valuable relationships with, with my patients like that because I have them for years. I've had patients – I mean, I've got patients that I've had from when I was in school, and I was like – trying to create this program and pilot this program through the university. And I was like, OG, before I even graduated school, patients. I mean, I've got some folks I've known for a long time. And I, it's cool, man. But, so anyways, the long and short of that tangent is, I couldn't be more happy that I didn't get a department. And then I got told no and to go pivot and go figure it out somewhere else. Because that my life's so perfect where it, that all the things that I like about patient care from being a paramedic where you get to bullshit with somebody. Yeah. Like all of that I get to do now, but I get to do it with people that I have something in common with and I care about and I can do something to make their life way better. You know? So anyways. Well, and I mean, Probably, and I'm not saying that every department would be like that, but you probably have a lot more control over, you know, the treatment avenues. If we, you know, if you want to say it that way, yeah. Because um, you know how it is, you start working with big departments or whatever, and they might try to well, we're only going to do this portion or we only want to do this portion or whatever. So I think being out like you are, I think it's probably better and you're going to be able to help more people in the long run. Man, I totally agree. The 
the when I refer someone out, first thing we do is, do you want to use insurance? Right. Because, mm-hmm. like, uh, a, here's a good example of that. When I get women that are postpartum, so when you start, so when you're postpartum, you come back to work and you're doing push, carrying, pulling. It's complex because you've just, like, I'm going to use an extreme word, but you've just really destroyed your abdominal walls. And those are the main muscles that stabilize your lumbar spine. And if you just, you know, do a number on your abdominal walls, your job's going to be really, really hard. And so I refer to two manual, two pelvic floor physical therapists in the Kansas City Metro. One of them takes insurance. One of them doesn't. I don't have a preference, but... They both do really, really similar stuff, but I always ask because if you would rather use cash or you have HSA funds, I'll send you to someone who's just closer to you. Or if you want to do insurance, I'll find someone who's close to you and does insurance. But that I have the freedom to do that. As we're like, if I was with a department, they'd be like, "Well, we want to make sure everyone's using their insurance." I'm like, "No, dude, that that's like yeah. it's not the right thing for the patient." Okay. It can be, and oftentimes it is, but we're oversimplifying a complex situation when it's like, I'm not going to go to this provider because I don't take my insurance when, like, the cash price is cheaper than the copay. Yeah. So just whatever. Yeah. So it's cool because I have the freedom to be like, okay, is this actually the right decision for the patient and what's the patient's financial situation do would they rather pay cash but stay close or go far and like what's the right thing and so anyways i'm really lucky in that in that regard too where it's like i just had the freedom to do that stuff well that's the you know that article that i sent you they actually kind of talked about that a little bit of why firefighters seem to be off for injuries that you know somebody in another field might have and they're back to work and it might take a firefighter twice as long. And then they, they kind of touched on that whole, the bureaucracy thing. You know, okay, well, I'm hurt. Okay, you have to fill out a form. Then you have to wait until they send you to whatever doctor they want you to go see. And then, okay, well, if it's, a, you know, specialist or whatever, who knows how long you're waiting to get in. So there's four weeks. Well, then, okay, we'll just do physical therapy for four weeks and then we'll see. It's like, come on, bro. I know my body. And I mean, I've went through it myself. I had knee injury, um, went and they sent me, which was great to do an MRI very like that day. Smart. Cool. That's smart. Smart. Except for I tore my ACL in high school. I have a screw in my knee. So the MRI is mostly useless. Yeah. Um, so then go to the, um, orthopedic surgeon like three weeks later he puts me on physical therapy for four weeks I go back and see him he's like well it could be this it could be that but it doesn't seem like it's any of those things uh do you want me to do surgery and I'm like if it was a torn meniscus if you would have done surgery eight weeks ago I'd already be back to work so no just put me back to work so I hopped around on basically one leg for probably four years until cool. it was just too bad that I just couldn't take it anymore. So went, saw a different orthopedic surgeon. Yeah. He scoped it, found out what the problem was, 
and I was back to work in six weeks. So this is somewhat my personality. If I don't agree with something, I'm not doing it. Yeah. And I find this personality trait in a lot of uh, <laughs> fire EMS police folks where it's like, if I don't, if this ain't right, I ain't doing it. Mm-hmm. That's like, no, it's like not negotiable. Yeah. Uh, so what I do with patients like that is if I have a patient who went to see an orthopedic surgeon and they're like, hey, is th- this right? Because there are some times where someone comes into me, I'm like, yo, that's traumatic. I, I don't, it's not right to send you to physical therapy first. We need to send you to an orthopedic. So I refer to like one of the big orthopedic spots in Kansas City. And if their orthopedic surgeon they have a bad experience with or something doesn't go right or whatever, mm-hmm. I find someone else for them. And I'm yeah. like, hey, get a second because it is a second opinion is worth tons and tons of money. And if you're getting a second opinion from a physician and that, physician me is saying like hey this is a guy who pulls ceiling for a living it's not good enough to say well go to physical therapy and see how it goes that's not an acceptable answer just like if lebron hurt his shoulder they wouldn't be like hey have you thought about physical therapy (laughs) Uh, (laughs) you know exactly it would be like a very different conversation yeah so to, to be able to advocate for them to be able to advocate for those guys who are like hey, Harrison, is this right? I'm like, no, dude, that's not right. That's old school or that's like not in line with the current evidence and standards or whatever. I, yeah. I'm, I, that's really cool for, for me to do because I just like to, I just like to be confrontational sometimes. <laughs> I just like it. I don't know why. It's like kind of nerve wracking. It's yeah. kind of nerve wracking. But calling like an orthopedic group and being like, Hey, I need a second opinion because the first one was bad. And then we have like a dialogue about it. That is like an easy thing for me to do is where if I was a patient, it'd be, I wouldn't know where to start. It'd be super nerve wracking. And I probably would never have the time to, to ever do it. Cause every time I try to pick up a phone call, I have to go on a call. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah, that, that whole dynamic of pre-physical therapy stuff, stuff that's like an orthopedic emergency is is kind of kind of cool because there's a lot more variability than people think. People are like, "Oh, chiropractors or physical therapists, you never know what you're gonna get." All this stuff, I'm like, dude, I don't know, man. That's like, you can go to one orthopedic surgeon and he'll say this, and you go to another one, he's like, "No, nah, guy's an idiot." Yeah, Be totally wrong. There's a lot more variability in healthcare than you think. So yeah. that's kind of cool part of what I get to do is be like, okay, why did he say that? Because that first doctor is probably not an idiot because he is a doctor and he's probably seen more than one shoulder. What it is, is in my, this is my opinion. I find that it's just, they don't have a clue what firefighters do. They don't have a freaking clue how demanding the job is. They think you guys are grilling all the time. I think it's, it's that. And they see work comp. Oh yeah. And they don't care. Yeah. Yeah. They really don't. They think it's, oh, he's just, you know, trying to get some time off work or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, no, nah, dude, this is costing me money. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I work a ton of overtime. Being yeah. off work yeah. costs me money. Yeah. So let's get this fixed and get me back to work. 
like as fast as possible. Yeah. You know, that's in line with a lot of athletes too, because there'll be athletes here. It's like they tear their meniscus or they let, let's use ACL. They'll tear their ACL and they'll be like, hi, how can I play? I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, no, no, no. I'm, I still, I'm still going to play. Right. I'm like, no, what? No, your yeah, knee's not was that guy. Yeah. So like, no, you're not going to play. What are you talking about? That is a really common dilemma in normal sports. So like having someone to, cause physicians don't understand that. They don't understand that you guys lose money when you're not working 40 hours a week. Like that's big money losses for yeah. most of you guys. So the only way you can make, make, I don't want to say real money, but the only way you can make like money, money is doing twice the work. Yeah. And so you got to get back to taking overtime. Yep. And so <clears throat> I've referred to an orthopedic or two who understands that. And they understand when I'm like, Hey, he's a firefighter. They're like, yes, you pull ceiling. That's like a hard job to do on your shoulders and you need certain requisite motions for that. Okay, got it. And then they'll go from there. So they'll maybe err on the side of surgery faster than another orthopedic surgeon who's like, eh, physical yeah. therapy for four weeks. Because physical therapy, there is there is a lot of variability. But just doing 20 pounds of... 20 pound dumbbell external rotation that doesn't clear you for anything what about coordinating that motion with your shoulder blade and coordinating that with your spine and your neck i mean there's just like a our motion's really complex ask a pitcher there's like yeah. a lot of things that go into it and, and if you, you throw an air pack on top of that which restricts your range of motion yeah absolutely it puts pressure on different areas then it's way different now yeah. and so Interestingly enough, when I refer to an orthopedic surgeon, it's usually to hustle guys into surgery faster. It's usually not to like, it's usually not to be like, I don't think you should have surgery. Usually it's like, hey, let's err on the side of getting you back to work because you need to work. And a, a knee surgery can definitely be indicated and I'm never going to refer someone to get knee surgery if it's not indicated or if I don't think it's indicated or whatever. But if it's on the border, surgery. Yeah. If I think you're a good candidate and the research is gray and it's kind of opinion-based, surgery. Let's yeah. do it. Let's get you back to work. At the very least, scope it. Yeah. It's minimally invasive and you sure. actually go in there with a camera and look at what's wrong. Sure. You sure. know, it's better than any imaging technology that we have. Right. And especially if you have like an issue like mine of, you know, you got a screw in your knee, some metal in your knee that makes MRIs or CT scans or whatever makes them unreliable. Right. So and right. I'm not the only one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. I got plenty of plates and screws in my arms and shoulders. So I get yeah. it. You know, just to kind of round out that atypical take on orthopedic stuff. I am the polar opposite when it comes to, uh, maybe not polar, that's a strong word, but I am very different when it comes to things that aren't orthopedic injuries. Well, let's take a disc injury for an example. Mm -hmm. 
if you've ever had a disc injury, it's like the scariest thing ever because it's just so debilitating. And you're like, dude, I can't feel my legs. I can't even lift my legs. Like, it's scary. And once I get guys, once me and my main therapist that I use, once we get them able to like ambulate, walk around, live their life, once we get them there, the big issue that we have is fear. I can't hurt my back again. I can't do that again. It's it's a lot of what in my profession we call psychosocial elements. It's a lot of that stuff that we have to manage in order to keep them consistently out of pain. So that's a that is atypical from older physical therapy models where it's like I need to see this amount of I need to see it three times a week for three weeks and then two times a week for the next eight weeks and we'll phase you out of care that way. The the more biopsychosocial model of manual therapy or healthcare is way more patient empowered. So guy got a microdiscectomy or he's got like a disc injury. I'm not going to send him to therapy for like three months. That's ridiculous. All the exercises that you can learn to manage your own symptoms, you can learn in like three visits. All of them. So let's get those three to five, maybe six, seven visits out the way and let's give you the patient the tools to figure that stuff out. Because here's the deal. When you're at the fire station and your back's hurting, you can't be like, Oh, I have to wait. <laughs> I gotta wait till I get off shift to go see my chiropractor or go see my therapist or whatever. Like that can't happen. You have to be like, no, I got this. I'm gonna manage it on my own. Yeah. And then you have the tools to do that because you've got the education, you have all that stuff. Now, if there's a really bad flare up, okay, we can talk about that. And if it's constantly getting flared up and there's not a we're we're not having a ton of success, then we can do something different. But yeah, you don't need to go back into physical therapy every time you have a back flare-up. You need to be confident in your ability to manage it on your own on shift. Because yeah. if your back hurts and you run a call and then it gets really bad, you're just another patient and you're not helping anybody. Yeah. So you need to be able to manage it on your own while you're at the station. And don't come to me every time your back hurts. That's ridiculous. But then talking about like that, all the fear side of that, I mean, there are guys that have crippling anxiety about re-injuring something. And I can tell you as someone who's injured my shoulder and smashed my arms, I mean, I don't, I don't mountain bike anymore because I'm too scared. Because I had a couple... Scared of your wife, (laughs) (laughs) I remember what you said earlier. (laughs) I mean, I had a couple gnarly spills. And, you know, I tried to ride for a while. And I just... just too much anxiety. But mountain biking ain't my job. That's my hobby. If firefighting's your job and you're terrified to go to work because you're going to slip tear your knee out again or whatever that's a problem we need to do things in strength and conditioning and in athlete development that build your confidence and gives you the ability 
to feel confident on every single call. And that comes back around to screenings. If you tear your ACL and you're freaked out about ACL stuff, doing really basic absorbing impact, producing force screenings, saying, hey, you're, def- you're deficit here. This is this might be a bad thing. We should really work on this to try to preserve your knee. We're going to do track drills and we're going to do soccer drills and we're going to work on your ability to coordinate your spine to your hip, to your knee, to your ankle. And I have personal trainers that do that right outside my office. And it it's it's cool because where I'm at, the trainers are so sharp. So they do such a good job that I don't have to like think about that stuff. And I, I have I have a trainer uh named Josh who I'd refer people to. I have a lot of people that want um online training because they work at a fire station. They need to have a workout like scheduled and ready and they need to have it there for whenever, you know, they're at the station. And so I have I have another person that does that and then I have a person that does in home. Um for there's a lot of folks that don't feel comfortable going to a gym or don't feel confident in doing that stuff. And um so I've got a home one and then I've got uh one that does women only. Because that's another big need. Yeah. Big need. But anyways, my my point in all that is I'm very much like with surgery, I refer quickly because my goal is to get you back to work. But if it's musculoskeletal pain, my goal is to look at it as like a big clinical picture. Is it psychosocial? Is it like you're tired and you're depressed and you're beat up and your back always hurts? Is it more of like a psyche problem or is it like a biomechanic problem or is it a little bit of both? And then how do we treat that whole person and how do we treat that whole picture? Because it's just complex. Pain, ask anybody, ask any therapist. Pain is a really, really complex thing. And if you're the only therapist in your office and you're only getting one take on your patient, dude, I don't know how you get anybody right. Every patient that comes into my office, I'm like, okay, I feel pretty good about this. But what if? <laughs> what if it's the, You know what I mean? It's like, but yeah. maybe, well, it. I mean, there's always that. Am I missing something? There's got, there's got to be more to this, or or there's something I'm not thinking of. I'm sure. And so having other therapists that I rely on is just r- so helpful because we call and have these conversations that are like, oh yeah, this guy's doing great. This guy's freaking out every time I touch him because he's so nervous about re-injuring. We got to get him into strength and conditioning, and so we'll progress him forward and get him into training as as soon as we can so we'll treat the whole person exactly i mean what a novel idea dude (laughs) Dude. it's like what the hell (laughs) it's it's funny because yeah it it is it's so obvious on the surface you're like of course i'm gonna treat the whole person and i had that same thought eight nine years ago when i had the idea I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to treat the whole person. I'm a freaking genius. <laughs> and then and then I like got into it and I was like, hey, you know, this might be way harder than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, 
Well, I mean, like you said, it's complex. Yeah. But it sounds yeah, like yeah. you're you're going down the right track. Man, I'm trying. It is um yeah, there's no shortage of learning, that is for sure. Yeah. That it every appointment I have with an IA patient, it is I'm learning the nuances to screenings. So like the a good example would be here a really simple example. Here's what happens. So I have all these psychological screenings. They're in a cycle. I do five of them. There's like 50 weeks-ish in a year, so I get about 10 screenings a year for each individual screening that I do. So here's what happens. People fail depression, and then they'll fail uh, like burnout, and then they'll fail chronic pain, and then they'll fail alcohol abuse, and then they'll stop filling out their forms. (laughs) <laughs> and then and that's when I know and so if if they'll miss like two or three weeks I'll be like hey you good I'm reaching out to him yeah he, if he can't even fill an online form straight to his phone that I know he's on because he's probably on Instagram like I know that's what you're doing don't tell me you can't do it yeah but I will I will call you I'll come I know what station you're at I'll come to that station and be like bro are you the only reason this is happening is because you're on vacation and you're here. So let's figure this out. So anyways, that, that kind of nuance where it's like, guys will start, I'll see like a trend because it's all on a graph, right? Mm Because data, it's like all on a graph, everything will kind of trend upward. And then all of a sudden it'll be like radio silence. And I'm like, he's having a bad time. And I know as soon as that happens, he's having a bad time. But I never would have thought of that nuance three years ago, two or three years ago, before I had just done a couple of reps and had a couple of interactions with patients. I never would have thought of weird, cool stuff like that, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to do this whole person approach, but it's funny when I tell people, I don't actually treat people. I just do identification and allocation of resources. People are like, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, it's like truck checks just for people. And they're like, oh, okay, all right. Okay, I can see how that would work. And it just takes a while because it's a complex thing. And I'm such like a fired up person that it's hard to explain. And that has been the biggest hurdle in my small business adventure. And that's why a lot of times I'm like, it's like truck checks for people. And then I just leave it at that because... How much do you want to know? I'll talk to you for three hours on a podcast about it. You know, <laughs> I'll do it forever. Yeah. So I don't know. I am in a really great spot. I, my office is great. All of my relationships that I have with uh, counselors and therapists and personal trainers and strength and conditioning coaches. And I just have so many cool relationships it's just a matter of time and pressure. That's all it is. And I can be patient. I, you know, I got two small kids and a wife and they love when I'm home. So like, okay, I'll go home. I'll go home and hang out. Sure. Once you guys go to bed, I'll think about doing something. You know what I mean? Like I'll maybe check some emails or work or I'll do something once everyone's in bed. But it's, my life's too perfect for this not to take off at some point. It's just, like I said, time and pressure. Yeah just a matter of time that's yeah i i really really like what you're doing so it's it's something that i think 
probably a lot of people can get behind and a lot of people need, especially in the first responder world, because, I mean, that's the thing with with firefighters, cops, and all that stuff is we want answers, you know, and we want, because we're problem solvers. Totally. So it's, hey, how can we get this fixed in the best way as fast as possible? And how can we be proactive to where this doesn't happen again? And you're setting it all up. Yeah, if if I can do anything for anybody, it's just giving them a solution to a problem. So, I mean, like circling back around to truck checks, but like if your chainsaw's out of gas, you just put some gas in it, right? Yeah. So same thing is like if you're a cop and your shoulder hurts, there's a pretty good chance that it's because your mid-back is really, really stiff because you wear a vest all day. And now, because belts are gone and all your gears on your vests, it could be because your neck is not doing what it's supposed to do either. So then we just check that stuff and we're like, hey, this is broken, this is broken. Nah, broken is not a very uh, modern biopsychosocial term, but... Yeah, out of whack. Uh, yeah, it ain't right. How <laughs> yeah. about that? It ain't right. So let's get you done up and it will be better. Yeah. So, yeah, I... I'm I think so if I'm at 3 years now I'm growing at a pace that's healthy. If I got a department that was like 100 people big, it would be very stressful for me. There would be a lot of character building and learning opportunities if I had to do that. Yeah. I would totally do it. Uh I mean totally. But this scenario that I've got now where I kind of have a slow trickle of people that are word of mouth, um, guys that got my card from another guy or whatever. I have this kind of slow base has been so helpful because it's like I, I can I can actually handle the problems that come up because yeah. they're always unforeseen, you know. It's like, oh, I never thought of that. I never thought about having a sex therapist. I guess I, I got to go out to lunch and meet a sex therapist that's not an insane person Uh, (laughs) you know because i can't i can't refer i can't refer a firefighter to a crazy sex lady you know like it has to be like a normal person yeah relative you know yeah if if there's a sex therapist out there listening to this i'm sorry but (laughs) i know what you're talking about like you've got to be a normal person yeah we're we're not very different from the cops where we're sizing people up all the time all the time. And, you know, we do the same thing with doctors, with therapists, you know. And, they, like, going back to my own experience with that first orthopedic surgeon that I went to, I sized him up immediately. I knew immediately he didn't give two shits about me. Because, one, I sat in that exam room for 45 minutes before he came in. He spent five minutes in there and then was gone. I knew. Yeah. He doesn't care. It's not, I'm not at the top of his priority list and not like I got some big ego where I should be at the top of it. But I mean, I'm the patient here. I'm, yeah, I'm hurting. I'm here for help. It, take, take some time. Yeah. You know, that, that's all I'm asking and give me an answer. So, you know, yeah. 
man, my experience with work comp when I hurt my back was like it. I went in. I was like, hey, I pulled pulled a muscle, and he was like, well, we don't know that. And I was like, I just got done running a fifty miler, and I was like, dude. <laughs> I'm 23. I just I'm I pull muscles on the regular. I'm telling you, it's, and he, he like argued with me about it for a little bit, and I was like, all right, fine. So he made sure I didn't have a. a, a he like covered his bases. He like did the baseline. He palpated my belly to make sure my aorta wasn't gonna explode, and he made sure my spinal cord didn't have this problem called cauda equina and then he like cut me loose he was like all right see you take two weeks off and i was like you bitch that's like not what i wanted i wanted like an answer and i wanted a hand to be like how do i get back to doing my job yeah and so i'm sure some guys that are listening to this can identify with this but so two weeks whatever our next appointment um it my options were uh because it was yeah, I think it was two weeks. So two weeks went by. And then when I went back, he was like, all right, so you're cleared for light duty. Uh, either either you can go back or since you're cleared for light duty, you'll go in the office. And I was like, dude, it's the craziest thing. My back is fine all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Totally good. Because there's no way I'm going back. <laughs> there's no way I'm going to an office, man. You yep. can – I will – I'll lie all day yep. about that. And so anyways, I, I think that's that was a that's a really common experience for a lot of guys. And if you if anyone's listening to this and they want to subscribe to my program or I should say my service, if they want to subscribe to my service, the one thing that I know that I can guarantee is the most in-depth physical exam you've ever had from a doctor. And that is we will comprehensively go over every single body part because they're all tied together if you have shoulder pain it's probably not your shoulder unless it's like an orthopedic issue like a slap tear like a a tendinopathy of your rotator cuff or something like that but if you have tendinopathy of your rotator cuff or you've got a pissed off tendon in there why is it pissed off yeah it's probably something else it's probably something closer to the spine and so we will figure that out and I will give you the answer and then we'll manage that answer. And so even if you don't like all the psychological screenings that I email you every Monday, even if you think all that stuff's lame and you don't want to do it, it's your prerogative, 100% guarantee you will get the most comprehensive physical exam that actually translates to your job. Because just doing like what that work comp doc did to me where he palpated my palpated my belly for a triple a and then made sure i didn't have caught aquina he was i was like dude this doesn't relate to anything in my job why would i mean i don't have either day well so i don't have a connective tissue disorder that's going to give me an aneurysm in my stomach so that's very unlikely and i'm thinking this all to myself because i like you i'm like sizing him up i can already tell he doesn't care about me yeah because he works at a work comp office he's like that he's used to this you know but he's just not used to people that are like, dude, I love my job. Literally yeah. my worst nightmare is taking two weeks off and laying at home on the sofa. Yeah. Like that's a recipe for a 
serious depressive episode you know <laughs> absolutely you know so like yeah dude i gotta go back to work so i just lie about it yep well and that's that's how guys like us are our own worst enemy sometimes because then we end up hobbling around for three or four years on one leg yeah and then making the problem worse whereas if we would have just gotten it fixed then we wouldn't be dealing with it 15 years later Absolutely. So, absolutely. And the same thing applies to your mental health, people. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I like the biomechanics side because I love exercise, but the mental health side's funny because um, it's teetering on the outer boundary of my scope of practice. Mm-hmm. I can do things like help people. Um, manage their pain okay i can do that stuff that's well within my scope of practice and there's like methods to interviewing patients about their pain that helps decrease their subjective pain we can do things like set goals we can do all kinds of cool stuff to help them like dose the exposure to pain so that that sensitivity goes away over a period of time okay so it's kind of in my scope what it definitely is in my scope is administration of outcome assessments. So all that psychological screening process stuff, that's where my scope stops. If you fail it, I send you away, right? Yeah. But the nuance, there's a lot of nuance in there that I'm starting to like learn because you can get desensitized to outcome assessments. They're not perfect. You just have to look at a bigger clinical picture. And, um, when I have guys that are that experience a really big spike in psychological demand, like really early on, I always tell them, you're going to run this call your whole career mm-hmm. in your mind from now until eternity. So you better figure out an efficient way to do that because it's not going to stop. And so, you know, every paramedic ever has like a call that really bothers them still. And, you know, what I did when I was 23 was all my friends were in college and I was working and I just partied, you know, it's the perfect solution. It's I don't the, know how it could go bad in any way, shape or form. Here seems legit, man. Yeah. He's legit. So yeah, <laughs> I, I have a lot of the same math. Uh, yeah, I, I had a lot of the same maladapt- cliche maladaptive behaviors, you know, when I was working on an ambulance. Stay up all night, sleep a little bit, go work out, drink the rest of the afternoon into the evening, and then wake up and go back to work. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of had like an, not an epiphany, but I had a moment where I was like, yo, I, this is not good. I uh, was at a station, I got hung over at like, five in the afternoon at a station and then it dawned on me and I was eating dinner with everybody I was like did I just drink and drive the ambulance all morning and the answer is yes so if you're a young person and that ever happens to you here's what actually happened is you sobered up in the afternoon so you drunk drive the ambulance the whole morning and so I kind of had an epiphany there I was like this this is probably not ideal I should, not optimal. I should probably figure out another avenue. And at the time, it didn't seem like, you know, it didn't seem like what I was doing was 
crazy because all my other friends were doing it and it didn't seem like it, that big of a deal. Yep. And then it's part of the culture, dude. It's wild. It's wild. You could like get off work at eight. You text your nurse girlfriends or whatever. And you're like, Hey, you go to the bar and it's, it's yeah. like just the norm. And so I don't know, man, that the, the culture is shifting. Yeah, for sure. There's way less 8 a.m. drinking at the bar than now than there was when I was there. Yeah. But, um, I mean, that yeah, dude, it was just so normal to go do that. And then, oh, man, now I'm having, like, flashbacks of all the ridiculous <laughs> stuff. But, like, you know, do you to get one guy at a station who's like, hey, I brew my own beer. <laughs> and you're like, no way. It's like breakfast at John's house. And then, <laughs> you know what I mean? And then... Yeah. And then, yeah, it just like spirals out of control. Yeah. And so anyways, that I had a pretty, that whole phase of my life where I didn't sleep, partied a ton, I had this like realization where, you know, I'm like right on the edge of really shit in the bed. Like, I was very close to having a really, really bad time with my life. And fortunately, I had the, um, honestly, man, I was just lucky. I was just lucky enough that I was like, I don't want to do that anymore. Because I should probably not get fired from this job for drunk driving an ambulance. So I just kind of stopped. But, I mean, I think that's just luck. I, I think it's a lot more complex for a lot of people. Uh, I mean, you call it luck, call it whatever you want. I mean, but it's a certain level of self-awareness and realizing, hey, I don't want to live my life this way. And just because everybody else is doing it doesn't mean I have to continue doing it. So, yeah, I mean, that could be true. I, I, I tend to be somewhat introspective extroverted but introspective and you know at that time it the the stars aligned and I had kind of a aha moment now what I tell patients now because I tell that story to my patients all the time which sounds strange but but that's why I have alcohol consumption questionnaires Mm -hmm. in my screening process because a lot of guys don't realize they're like well I was by day off. I got off at eight and I only drink like one beer an hour. I'm like, dude, time's 12. That's your, I understand yeah. drinking all day, but if you drink 12 beers a day, every day off work, that's, that's a problem. problem. <laughs> that's, that's not good. Yeah, yeah. That's a problem. And so, you know, I, I was fortunate in that I didn't have the complexity of serious PTSD. Every paramedic has PTSD, but I didn't have, I didn't have it. It wasn't debilitating for me. Everybody has run bad calls. Everybody gets disturbing images that are unprovoked. That is a fairly normal thing in EMS, but mine just wasn't as bad as a lot of my coworkers. And, you know, I didn't have, I should say I, I did and do have really healthy relationships that are supportive. Mm -hmm. And so like, like I said, it's a little bit of self-awareness, but my life situation was just prime for me to make a good decision in that moment. But man, 
I mean, the mental health stuff is funny because if you're not a little self-aware, you don't have good relationships, you have really bad PTSD, that decision to be like, hey, I'm done. I, it, This is too much. You're, I don't think you are physically capable of making that decision until you have some seriously life-altering scenario. And so that goes back to the importance of I'm the one that's reaching out to you because my goal is to prevent those seriously life-altering situations. Like my scenario, I would, that's a near miss, you know, if you're in the military. But that's like, that's like a near accident. Yeah. Nothing bad happened. No harm, no foul. Harrison, get it together, right? Yeah. That's what that is. But, you know, if I, like one of my really, honestly, my best friend from paramedic school, you know, wasn't able to do that and died from an overdose because he wasn't able to do that introspection and he wasn't able to, you know, have those lucky life circumstances to make that like objective decision where it's like, and this sounds crazy, but man, I really believe that addiction is really, really complex and, you know, it is more complex than looking down and being like, hey, meth is bad. <laughs> That's, guys can't make that decision because they don't have all the pieces in their life to be able to objectively take a step back and be like, time out. Yeah. What am I doing right exactly. now? You know? Well, and a lot of it is, you know, it starts off small in a lot of, for a lot of people. It's, you know, like you said drinks at 8 a.m., then it gradually snowballs. And it's such a part of the culture that, you know, okay, well, everybody else is doing it. It must be fine. You keep going, keep going. And then, okay, well, you know, I had a girlfriend, but we broke up. It's not because of my drinking. That That's not <laughs> yeah. the issue. Yeah. You know, or, you know, I got a divorce and I don't see my kid anymore, but it's not because of the drinking or, well, now I've graduated on to, uh, hurt my back. So I got some oxy. Well now yeah. I'm, man, I can't find the oxy anymore. So now I'm doing the heroin, you know, it, and it snowballs. The very last thing that it affects is the job. The very last thing. Cause you'll show up, you'll be hung over, you'll be hurting, whatever. And what do the guys on the job do? Oh, don't worry, man. Just go sleep it off. We'll cover yeah. for you. Oh, yeah. Man, that's some bullshit that we got to stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it. I can't tell you how many times it's been like, if I could just get to work. If I can just get there, I'm good. Yeah. But that drive there or, or that waking up is like touch and go. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, there have been just so many times where it's two in the morning and... I'm in Westport having a blast and I'm like, all I got to do is get there. Yeah. I, I'm at, I'm at a, I'm at a vacation station. <laughs> it's going to be fine. It's yep. going to be fine. And then I get three hours of sleep. I'm still drunk, get to work, hang out. Yep. And you know, God's grace. I don't run any calls. I don't have to do anything, you know, like that just happens so frequently that like, I, I, I think that is the start of a very bad recipe. Yeah. And if you don't have that healthy support system, if you don't have those things outside, 
then that's where it starts a snowball and you go down that road where you know you can't make the right decision. Yeah. Right. And you're just constantly making the wrong one and then you know, you end up overdosing or killing somebody in a DUI or oh, I mean, you know, it goes down the list of bad shit that can happen. And then where are you at? Right. Right. Yeah, that's a- absolutely right. It in I think for me I realized that stuff when I was, you know, 23 or 24 or whatever. And um, I think a lot of guys don't realize it until they're like full on committed to the fire service or the police service. You know, they're like vested dudes. They just like don't realize that's what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And then when they have that epiphany, they're like, dude, I'm committed. I'm, I'm somewhat stuck in this job. And, you know, maybe by that time they've got other complicating life circumstances like kids or a marriage or a divorce or a second marriage or a third or a fourth, (laughs) like, you know, but like, but you know, their life's just really complicated and, and they can't, they don't have the luxury of doing what I got to do where you had an idea in your, in October and you were like, dude, F it, I'm going for it. And you just quit. They, it's not possible for a lot of those guys. So yeah. that's tough, man. And there are so many resources out there for those guys, but they're never going to come ask their department chief or the government, hey, what's your you know, EAP program like? That, that, is that a good resource? Absolutely. Super great. I would well, say the number some of, some of them are. <laughs> I true. I would say the the number of times that gets used relative to, to relative to the number of guys that get that have those issues is like single digits percentage. Yeah. Maybe less than 5. Yeah. So, well, per that study, <laughs> yeah, right. 92% said we're not doing that. Right. So like, you know, that's I that's where I think what my company does is unique is because I'm a portal of entry physician. I'm my own healthcare entity. There's like HIPAA and stuff. It's, it is as private and as protected as your medical records at a hospital. And I'm the one reaching out to you. So you literally don't have to do anything and you literally don't have to worry about anybody ever finding out. And all I'm doing is, identifying a need and allocating the appropriate resource. So like, you know, those, those guys that are complex that let's say you're 20 years in four marriages deep and you have a bunch of kids and you're freaking out because you hate your life or whatever, you know, there are avenues to navigate that. There are counselors that I know that I talk with on Friday that that's like their specialty is older, more seasoned, tough dudes who aren't really that tough but like (laughs) but that's like their specialty and if you're that guy you're never why would you ever know how would you ever know that how you're gonna go to one counselor that you looked up on google and then you're gonna have a bad time you can be like counseling's stupid i'm not doing that Mm -hmm. and then you're gonna go drink your 8 a.m beer and that's 
a recipe for doing what a lot of guys do and they retire and kill themselves in six months or whatever. I mean, that's like a common theme and it, it it's so unbelievably obvious to me that if we can allocate our resources better earlier on in careers, we can chip away at that number. Yeah. Be proactive. Be That's, proactive. Absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. It's, yeah. dude, it's, it sounds so easy. It sounds so <laughs> simple. It sounds yeah. so simple. But, you know, like a lot of things, man, it's just. Yeah. Well, you know, it's getting people to buy into it. That's part of it. And yeah. And seeing, you know, the unfortunate thing is that guys of, guys and girls, don't crucify me. People of my generation and older, you know, we have the tendency to, we don't see the need until we've had something happen. And then it's like, oh, hey, the curtains lifted, the veils parted. Okay, why didn't we know this all along? You know, right. why did I have my head so far up my ass for so many years? Um, but that goes back to what we were talking about with the younger generation is they're seeing that a little bit sooner and they're more receptive to it. So be proactive with them, get them going down the right path. They're the ones that are ultimately going to change the culture. So, I mean, we could be a catalyst for it. Sure. But ultimately we got to remember that this job is going to keep going on past whenever we retire. You yeah, know, it's nobody is indispensable whenever it comes to the fire service or the police department or whatever career field you want to talk about is going to keep going. So I'm just trying to do something, maybe leave it a little bit better than I found it. You know, I, I told you I was like pretty young. I just turned 21 when I got hired on as a paramedic and I was so, I was such like a try hard about that department and I was so sure that the county cared about me as a person <laughs> I was just I knew it dude I knew they loved me <laughs> they're like they're like but dude you know because like yeah. you dedicate your life you know you, I dedicated five my early 20s to a department which is like no time at all you know, there's a dude I work with that worked there for like 47 years or something ridiculous. But like, you yeah. know, there are guys that dedicate literally their whole life to a department. And if the department doesn't care about those guys, it doesn't care about me. And I just remember being like, my feelings were kind of hurt when I left. And I, it, I realized that that's just how it's supposed to be. And it motivated me even more to be like, all right, fine. If the government doesn't care about me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'll do something different. Yeah. And so, but, but leaving it just a little bit better than you find it is exactly the feeling that I get to have when I do what I'm doing. And it's cool, man. And I understand like your, the podcast thing, man, it, it makes so much sense to me because it is such a passion project that I'm sure there are times where it feels like work and it feels like labor. And I, I'm sure that that happens 
Same. Know? I have scenarios where I'm like, I don't want to do this. You know what I mean? Like everybody has yeah. that. But the majority of the time, my biggest issue is not burning out. My biggest issue is like just chilling for a second and go do something else. Like yeah. relax. You don't have to go so hard all the time, no matter what. I'm sure it's the same thing. You could probably do podcast stuff all night, every night, but it's just a recipe. I've, yeah. I've already gotten burned out with one or two or three jobs. Yeah. My passion project, I should probably pace myself and, and make sure I'm enjoying it as much as I can as I do it. Yeah. I mean, you would be surprised how, you know, you think we're just sitting here having a conversation, which we are, but you have this conversation tonight, then another conversation tomorrow night. And then we've had in the past where we've done two or three in one day. And I can tell you after that second one or after that third one, it's just, it's mentally exhausting. And then, well, now I have to go do all of the editing and the processing and the uploading and all that stuff. And none of that stuff is like, oh, just one, two clicks and I'm done. It's, a, I mean, it's not super labor intensive, but it's, it takes hours to do that stuff. So it's like, man, I just want to sit on the couch with my dog and watch TV. Yeah. And. Yeah, it's definitely not, not labor intensive. Yeah. You know, I, the only experience I have with that is so when 20, April 2020 rolled around or whatever, um, I got asked to come back and teach this emergency class at Cleveland University, which has been the one of the coolest opportunities I've had. And I just, it's awesome. Okay. But it was like right during COVID. And I, and I had this like huge idea where I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to do something really cool with this class. Anyways, it all had to be online. And so I had to do like a lot of my lectures and stuff online. And I am not a tech person. I, I value it a ton, but I am not your guy. Like I don't have a TV at my house. I am not a tech person. I'll learn what I have to learn to do the things that I want to do, but I, I get frustrated relatively quickly with YouTube and all that stuff. So anyways, mm-hmm. dude, recording those lectures on my <laughs> laptop, like just trying to figure out how to like share my screen on zoom. I was like, I'm going to freak out. <laughs> and I had so many times where I would like do, a, I had so, oh my gosh, I'm having flashbacks. <laughs> like, dude, I'd upload a video and I like, wouldn't do the sound. Like I for whatever reason, I would wouldn't have turned my mic on. I was too stupid to check before I started recording. Uh-huh. Like, That's, yeah, we did that one time. We shot a whole podcast, and then I went back to edit it. No sound. It's so stressful. Yeah, it just that it hurts. And you know, my lectures are like fifty minutes long. You know, they're not like a three hour podcast with a with a person who came to you to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, mine was like relatively low cost, and because I was like just in be- more or less in between jobs with COVID because all my teaching jobs were shot. I was like trying to figure out, you know, go work construction or do I go, go to UPS or do I work with my buddy and clean gutters? You know, like what do I do? Yeah. Cause I just had a kid. I was like, like you gotta make gotta, money. <laughs> yeah. I gotta do something here. And so like, <clears throat> I mean, I just 
remember wrestling with that YouTube stuff and uploading it and all of it. And I was just, it was brutal. So I know that it is way more labor intensive than you're letting on, but it's, dude, it's just like anything like, you know, nonchalantly, I'm like, Oh yeah, I do these screenings, all this stuff, biomechanic, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of. When I see somebody, they're generating a ton of data points. And when I do screenings for people, they generate a ton of data points. Well, it's just me, man. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> Somebody's got to put all that stuff together. I put it all together. Like, it takes a – and I am not – someone I know is going to watch this probably. And, like, I am not a detail person to say the least. <laughs> I am a conceptual, like, big picture, like, person. <laughs> so, you know, I have to – I have to strong arm myself to like do Excel and to like enter data into Excel. And it's, dude, it's, it is labor intensive. I mean, for every person I see, I spend hours and hours behind my laptop entering data and looking at graphs and all that stuff on their screening stuff. I mean, cause there's just a lot, there's a lot to it. And I probably am only doing a very, very, very small percentage of what I could be doing. I just don't know any different because I'm I'm doing what I feel really confident in. But there's probably some sports analyst out there that's like, oh, you should try this or that or whatever. It's like, who knows, man? Same yeah. thing with podcasts. There's probably a pro podcaster that could come in and like – give you tons of really helpful feedback. Oh, yeah. You know, Just I mean, look it up on YouTube. There's a million. How oh, to is there really? Podcast. Oh, oh, of course. Yeah. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. But of course, yeah. And everybody's got a different way to do it. And, you know, you get one guy's, oh, if you're not using Mac, then it's whatever. And then, well, I just use my phone and it, do this and get this attachment. And I'm like, dude, that no, I, I'm not doing that. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I have my setup. It works the way that I want it to work. So, yeah, it's trial and error, though. I mean, we went through three, two different mixers before we got to that one. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, man. So, but we had to keep expanding. Sure. So, it started out with just me and one other guy. So, we only needed, you know, two channels. And it's like, well, we're going to have guests. You know, after we did the first one with just me and him, it's like, oh, we need to have guests. Okay, well, okay, now we need a bigger mixer. So we add more microphones. Okay, well, now we need, you know, a different tripod because the one we had wasn't that good. So, I mean, we had, it's the same camera that I've been using the whole time. But, you know, like we were talking about earlier, I, I want two, three, four more cameras, you know, so we can make it a little bit more professional so that whenever you're talking, the video's on you. You don't have to look at my ugly face, you know, and then whenever I talk, it's on me or whenever, you know, if I have, you know, James here and he's sitting behind the computer, I've got a camera back there for him so people can see him. He's not just some disembodied voice, you know, coming up on the podcast and everybody's like, well, who's talking? I can't, nobody's lips are moving, you know, totally. So see, I, stuff I don't even think about. I mean, it's that's everything you just said is obvious when you explain it to me. Yeah. But I would have never thought of any of that stuff. And you're just adding more challenges as you go. Yeah. Because I'm sure, 
every time you add something, it's not like you plug it in. It works perfect. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know? So I got it. <laughs> I'll tell you that story. I got a new laptop. Um, well, it was the day that you were supposed to originally be on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Whenever you had your... Dude, I got health. My son got pink eye at daycare, (laughs) and then I got pink eye. Well, the worst part is you can't go to jujitsu. That's the worst part. Oh yeah, no, that's a that's a strong recipe for getting somebody to kick you in the face if you show up with pink eye. Yeah. All right, keep going. Um, So anyway, my laptop. I come down here that morning, or maybe it was the night before. So I don't remember. But anyway, I, you know, I hadn't. We'd had a little break, probably two weeks of not having a podcast. So I come down here and I set everything up and, you know, I'm kind of anal retentive since we had that episode where we didn't get any sound. So now like I check everything before podcasts. So I'm like, I'll just, you know, fire it up and, you know, go through some stuff. And I did a little test recording and I'm like, it seems off. I couldn't get the, the, the audio to sync up with the video. And like, I'm going through, I'm changing settings. I'm, you know, working on the the program that I used to record and all this stuff. And just, it's nothing is working. And just the laptop was just done. The, the one that I had before. So I go out to micro center and I get a brand new laptop, a brand new uh, video capture card. Cause I'm like, okay, if I'm upgrading the laptop, I'm going to upgrade the video capture card too. So I come back, I set it all up and kind of working through everything and everything's working good. And then I'm looking at it and I'm like, man, it's really dark. Like the, the video on the camera is fine. And the video that I see on the TV that I have set up is fine. But the video on the computer screen is really dark. And whenever I record it, what plays back is really dark can't figure it out can't figure it out i'm changing settings everywhere and ultimately what it was is the new video capture card just processes a little bit differently so i had to change settings on the camera but and then i had to add more lights because even changing the settings on the camera didn't quite fix everything out but i bet 10 hours easily 10 hours of doing it and then you know i'm down here by myself because, you know, I'm not going to call guys, hey, can you come over and sit in the chair for me while I <laughs> mess right. with lights and stuff? So I'm sitting down here doing all that stuff. And it's like, man, I'm glad I'm glad you got pink eye, but I'm sad for you that you got pink eye. Otherwise, yeah, it, it might have been. Oh, man, that just hearing that story stresses me out because that's <laughs> I mean, telling you. You know, that's the kind of stuff that's just like so overwhelmingly stressful for me where it's like it's oh. like tech stuff. It's like something you spend a bunch of money on. Yep. Dude, it's that's ma- in my life personally, that's like maximum stress. You know, I got a s- small business quote. My wife told me this all the time. She was like, just try to get like one thing done every day. If you get one thing done every day, 365 days later, you will have lots of stuff done. And this is like when the pandemic was happening and I was having like a crisis meltdown about my life because I was like, <laughs> dude, I, I risked it all. And then, you know, the world just totally shit on me right now. And everybody, to be fair. But um, 
dude, it's hard. It's hard to get one thing done every day. It's I. It's damn near impossible. Could you spend ten hours doing something like this? Well, there's not much else you're doing that day. Nope. It's it's hard. Yeah. It's really hard. Some <laughs> days you'll have you'll the stars will align and you'll get like two things done, but. Dude, most of the time it's like you have to fight tooth and nail to just get one singular task done. Big yeah. task. Yeah. You know? So, man, that's funny. I, whoa, just the notion. <laughs> so, the in my tech world, uh, the bane of my existence is passwords. Oh. Dude, yeah. I, I come, <laughs> I come unglued with passwords because I, because I teach it two different colleges. I teach it I teach three different, four different courses sometimes. Like, dude, I am a password-having machine. And when I got a new laptop, it just erased all my passwords. And so for months, it was like, I had to make a new password. And so for in healthcare, you have HIPAA, right? In, yeah. in academia, you have FERPA. Same concept. It's student privacy stuff. But so everything's like really password. So they take that stuff real seriously. And... Dude, I just, it was like months before I could figure out my password stuff. Because sometimes you have to like call IT and IT has to do it for you. And then it's like this big, long, weird, obscure one. And then anyways, I digress. But yeah, it's, dude, that stuff is, there are times where it would take me like an hour and a half to reset my password just because it's like, and then the window of time that I had for work to do is gone. And now I've got patience and then I got to go get my kids and I got to be a dad and like it's wild yeah just one thing it's all you got to do every day if you want to do small business or you want to do a project like podcast if you can accomplish one thing you'll get really far yeah there are a lot of days we're going to get to zero <laughs> <laughs> yeah the important part is to keep trying to move forward yeah man so yeah anytime uh every time i've taken a big header and i've really ate shit as a small business person, you know, you just uh, pretend like it didn't happen. Yeah. Keep plugging away. Have a memory like a goldfish. Yeah, dude. Yeah, man. It's just, like I said before, it's just time and pressure, man. Yeah. Eventually it'll suss itself out and things will be good. Thanks for coming on. I was going to say, I could talk forever about anything, (laughs) so I, whenever. Well... I think that's probably a good place to uh, to call it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we're well over two hours, so. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. So, hey, That's time, so typical. Time flies when so you're having typical. fun. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right. Well, well, yeah. So, do you have any closing thoughts? Um, being proactive is more complex than we think it is. Um. Having a, a structured, systematic way to be proactive is the only way you can be proactive for everybody. If you just tell people, hey, be proactive, hey, exercise, eat healthy, that's not good enough. We we have to have some structured process to do that. A great place to start is really low cost, low intervention screening processes. So, if you screen, do biomechanics screening six times a year, and you do psychological evaluations once every five weeks, you would be surprised at the stuff that you can pick out on folks. So, I mean, 
that would be my closing thought is it's a lot more complex and also if you do the bare minimum you can get really 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 far but it's it you just have to try it and you have to realize that the best case scenario is nothing happens that's the whole point is to prevent something that's how preventative stuff works it's not like you're gonna feel super great it's that you're never gonna feel terrible that's the goal that's how prevention works so yeah you know it's it's complex but also pretty simple keep keep it simple Yeah, yeah you can get really far so, anyways, that's kind of my closing thoughts now that I think about it a little bit. <laughs> but, right. you got anything else for me? Uh, no, that's it. We'll end it like we do every episode. If you are struggling, reach out. Um, there are resources out there. There's a ton of them. There's one sitting right across the table from me. Um, if you know somebody that's struggling, let them know you care. Reach out to them. Um, got to change the culture sometime. Might as well start now. So... All right, thanks for stopping by, and I hope everybody enjoyed the show. And thank you, Harrison. Dude, my Appreciate pleasure. It. That was tons of fun. All right, see ya.